is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to as you are before your God. Oh. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys. I always love uh, showing up and just seeing this place fill up, and uh, it's good to, good to be here to worship. I absolutely love this time of year. Do you guys like this time of year? March? My least favorite month is February. My favorite month is March, probably because my birthday is in March, but I love, 
Uh, I love March Madness. Anybody like like uh, basketball? All right. So I always do a March Madness bracket with my family, and it kind of kind of brings brings us together around something. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about some warm days next week. Um, I'm excited that we can come as we are today. That that song said, uh, "Come as you are to worship," and God takes us where we're at, and He wants to to. To, to move us into maturity and, and grow us. So I just pray that our hearts are just here and present in this moment. Let's not waste this moment. We have one hour, right, a week that God wants to just move our hearts. So a um, couple things. We have uh, another Easter choir practice today. Um, Easter meal boxes, the Kiwanis are going to be distributing Easter baskets. So there's some information on the info table. It kind of tells you what you need to put in the box and when those need to come back. I think it's March 19th. Um, And then we're going to be doing a Good Friday communion service here. And it's just going to be a special time of worship and communion. And we're going to have some roundtables set up. It's going to be at 7 o'clock on Good Friday before Easter. So we just hope that you can join us for Good Friday, and then Easter is going to be just a celebration. We're going to have a choir. I'm excited. Invite somebody uh, to come and just experience God and what he has to offer. So uh, let's pray and continue to worship. Father, thank you so much for bringing us all here today safely. God, just just help us to to know that uh, you are God today. Your word tells us to be still and know that you are God. So whatever's going on in our lives, I just pray that that you'd help us to be still and to trust you and to give you our worries and our fears and and our our pain and our, our anxiety, whatever we might be carrying in here today. We just surrender that to you and ask that um, we would worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing with these guys. He's a rescuer. He's a rescuer. We are free from sin forevermore. Oh, how sweet the sound. Oh, how grace abounds. We will praise the Lord. Good news for the shame. There is good news for the one who walked away. There is good news for the doubter, the one religion failed. For the good Lord has come to seek and save. He's our
of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
trialing times as a nation, as a country, and ultimately where we see a lack of you in our lives and in our culture. We just ask that you be with us and build your church. Let us spread to the outreaches and just reach out to those that are really searching for you and need you. We ask that you open our hearts to the message you have for us today. Ultimately know that your word is the truth and that's what we're supposed to build our lives around. Thank you, Ty and worship team. It's just exciting for me to see the different faces of the people that, that God uses at Sunrise to minister and how as, as each of us use our gifts that God builds his church and encourages us and, and we hear from God through his spirit. This morning we want to continue our series in the book of Luke. And as I work through this text and work through this over the past week or 10 days, this one topic is probably the foundation of my spiritual walk. And I have a passion for that, and I have a desire and a vision that each of you will understand the fullness of what we want to talk about this morning. If you've walked with the Lord very long, the issues that we're going to talk about this morning are real. And it's so easy for us to to fall over into something that is not what God intended in our walk with Him. If you're new to the faith, then this is something that if you can understand early on in your Christian life, it will be the avenue for you to be able to grow and mature in your walk with God. Over these past weeks, we've been in the Gospel of Luke and we're The theme of our series is Deliver Me. We wanted to look at each of the ways that Jesus, as he began his earthly ministry and as he mingled with people and as he confronted the religious leaders of the day, the the things that Jesus wanted to deliver them from. And we talked the first week about temptation and how Jesus endured the temptation of Satan and the provisions he makes for us. The next week we talked about physical maladies and sicknesses and and how they affect our lives and how God wants to deliver us and also enable us through those difficult times of our life. Last week we talked about the reality of the spiritual battle that rages around us that we oftentimes forget is occurring because it's not something we can physically see, but yet it is very real and affects us on a daily basis. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 11 and talk about, we're going to look at the first passage in which Jesus begins to confront and talk to the religious leaders and religious elite within the nation of Israel. And this morning we are going to look at how Jesus, as he came and as he died on the cross, that it's his desire to deliver us from religion. Now that sounds funny at the beginning. Because if you think of people that come to church to worship, that have a a walk with God, most of society would describe them as having religion or being religious. And yet there's different ways in which that's defined, and the way we define it personally in our walk with God determines a lot about the way God works in our lives. I spent some time this week looking at 
different definitions of religion. And you will find, especially in recent years, uh, definitions of religion are a lot harder to find than they used to be. Because 20 years ago, if you ask for a definition of religion, it would always have to do with some kind of pursuit of a higher power. But now people can have a religion and their God can be things that are not supernatural at all. So here's the, the definition that I thought was best and most encompassing of what religion is. A system of designated behaviors and practices, which we're going to talk about this morning, morals, worldviews, texts, as in written documents, sanctified places, prophecies, ethics, or organizations that relate humanity to supernatural, non-physical, and spiritual elements. That's fairly complicated. I would hope that each of us in our pursuit of God, our definition of that wouldn't be quite that complicated. The reality is the God that created us made, him, made us in his image. And within each one of us, there is a, a capacity to interact and have a relationship with that creator. And Jesus, as he came and he ministered and he died on the cross, opened the door so that once again in our fallenness, by trusting his sacrifice on the cross, that we can have a place that we can openly worship the God who created us. The Old Testament law, as it was given to Moses, intended was intended for Israel, the nation of Israel, to be a way that they could relate to this God that created them and this God that chose them. And yet through the years and through the centuries that followed, it developed into a religion that missed God's intent of a relationship. And Jesus, as he begins his confrontation with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, confronts the reality of what their faith had become and begins to present what God's intent was once again for the freshness of a walk with Christ. This morning, I want to look at eight different things that Jesus brings to light in his conversation with the Pharisees. And for each one of them, I hope, and it's my prayer and desire, that you will examine your own life to see which of these elements is there. Because this is, this is not something that we arrive at and then we can just, like getting on the, the freeway and the road is clear, we don't have to worry about it again. These are things that are a constant battle in our walk with Christ, because it's easy to fall over back into the practice of religion rather than live in a relationship with God as He intends. Let's pray as we start. Father, we pray You're the God that created us, and we acknowledge that You desire to live in relationship with us. And so I pray in these moments to come, as we examine the words of Jesus, that You would, by Your Spirit, teach each of us that you would mark those things for us in our hearts in which we have missed, missed your goal and your desire for us. And that at the end of the day, you would help us to live in the freedom of a relationship that you desire. Because that's how we'll find our fulfillment and our walk with you. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. Luke chapter 11. Religion or relationship? Which is it? And what is the difference between the two? 
First of all, verses 29 through 32 in the text of chapter 11. This is actually before Jesus is, is physically talking to a Pharisee, but it's a prelude to what he wants to talk about. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. A couple of historical comments in that verse that you need to be aware of if you're, if you're not already. Solomon, when he became king of Israel, the, second, um, the third king of Israel, he, by God's grace, was the wisest man, certainly that had ever ruled and potentially that had ever lived. And because of that wisdom, his, his notoriety and that wisdom, his reputation spread far and wide. And so there's an account in, in, in the Chronicles and in First and Second Kings of the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of the South, coming to hear Solomon just for the, the purpose of being in his presence and hearing for herself to see if the message and the wisdom that he possessed was as great as what she had heard. The other account is the one of, of Jonah as he went to Nineveh. And in Jonah's account, we're most familiar with the story of the fish, that God said, go and preach in Nineveh, and Jonah didn't want to go do that, and so he tried to run away from God. God chose to discipline him by causing him to be in the belly of a fish for three days. After the fish, then God had the fish spit him up on the bank, and he went ahead and obeyed God. Some of the lesser-known details about that are what Jesus is talking about here. When God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh, he was asking him to go to see and preach to the enemy. The Assyrians, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, and the Assyrians were bitter enemies of the nation of Israel. And so you can understand why Jonah would not want to go and give them the potential of humbling themselves before God and receiving God's mercy and grace because they were Israel's enemies. He wanted them to see them fall under God's judgment. But what Jesus brings to light here is that as Jonah went in obedience and preached to the Ninevites, they repented. Jonah did nothing more than bring a simple message. He didn't perform any miracles other than he probably looked like he'd been in the belly of a fish for three days, but he just preached the message. And they, in simple faith, believed, and as a nation, to the, up to the king himself, repented. So the first element that we see, what's a religion and what's a relationship? A relationship is one in which God presents us with a message, and we, by faith, embrace that. It doesn't have to be miraculous. There doesn't have to be something that we can physically see that tells us that this is beyond the physical realm. We believe the message like the Ninevites did. In contrast to that, what Jesus tells the crowds is that the wicked generation, those that pursue religion, will not believe unless there's something miraculous that they can see. It's not simple faith, but it's reliance on a sign. That can be an issue for us as we pursue God. 
Do we trust what God says by simple faith? Or do we look for some kind of a miraculous sign to verify that that's what God said? Verses 33 through 36, we see the next thing that Jesus brings to light. Shine on or shine from. Verses 33 and following. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Relationship or religion? The essence of what Jesus' message was to the people is that God desires by His grace and mercy to change our hearts. As it were, that the light of life, that the light of His message, that the light of the gospel would come in and change us from the inside out. And as we interact and as we walk in that relationship with Christ, that the light comes from within us and is able to be seen in the world around us. In contrast, religion begins with a focus, with a light, with an emphasis on what's on the outside. And we seek by our behaviors and by our actions and those things that people can see, we seek to change those so that the light shines on the outside rather than coming from a changed heart. Shine on or shine from? Verses 39 and 40 begins the account in which Jesus has went to a Pharisee's house and he's interacting with them directly. Outside or inside, the comparison he gives, first of all, in verse 39 and 40. Jesus, the Lord, said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean from you. When we pursue religion... Our emphasis is on what people can see, what people can see about our behavior, what comes out of our mouths, those things. And, and, and the more people we're around, the more careful we become to make sure that we take care that the outside is desirable for those around us. Jesus came to deliver us from that in that he cares and desires what's on the inside. He wants to take the fallen nature and that sinful condition that we have, and he wants to change that by the blood of Jesus so that what's on the inside changes what's on the outside. From the outside or from the inside. Verse 42, we see the next thing. Is our faith about works or about grace? Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. See, religion teaches us that the more religious we are is based on the works that we perform the behaviors that we follow, the disciplines that we put in place, that determines our spiritual standing. 
in a relationship, it all begins with the grace and mercy and love that Jesus Christ has given to us. And in that grace, in the fullness of acceptance of that grace, then we recognize that I can't do anything on my own. It's only as God works in my heart and changes me from the inside out and the fruit of the Holy Spirit comes out from me and develops in me. There's a grace that becomes a part of who I am. Without Christ, I'm nothing. Religion says your works determine how spiritual you are. Pride or humility, the next thing Jesus brings to light. Verse 43, Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Religion says, how can my faith benefit me? What can I get out of this? What, what is there in it for me? The relationship that Jesus desires to have with us and for us to grow in says, how can Christ working in my life being, bring benefit and love and mercy to those that God has placed around me? Heavier light. Verse 46, Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Religious expression adds weight to the already difficult cares of this life. Because there's a pressure to conform and a pressure to perform and a pressure that I have to do these things in order to be spiritual. And that adds burden and a yoke to an already heavy life and the cares that follow us. The relationship that Jesus desires us to have is one that we give our burdens and our cares to Him and walk in the grace and mercy that He provides us. And that lightens the load rather than making it more difficult to carry. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for it is easy and light. Hypocrisy or honesty. Verses 47 and 48. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. In religion... The recesses of the heart and the motives are hidden to make sure that the outward appearance is good. What Jesus is referring to is in, as you go through the course of the Old Testament, the, the, the people of Israel rebelled against God and they killed and persecuted and tortured those that brought the message of God. And yet the leaders in this generation built the tombs as it were and honored the prophets as it were but in reality, they were part of the problem of ancient times. You see, religion is built on outward appearances, and that breeds hypocrisy. We, when we are trying to be religious, we're most consumed by what people see about us, and we don't want to be honest about, about the fallenness of our nature and the struggles that I have on a daily basis and those things that God sees within my heart that I don't want anybody else to know about. In a relationship, those things are shared and brought 
out so that God can work in those areas. Hypocrisy or honesty. Control or access. Verse 52. Woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have entered and you have hindered those who are entering. Control or access. If you think about the quote-unquote major religions of the world, there is an element in nearly every one of those in which the leaders have an additional level of knowledge and they use that knowledge as a means to control the people that are following that religion. Just think through the world religions that you can talk about. Look at where the nation of Israel was when Jesus came. That's exactly the way it was. The Pharisees had had taken the Old Testament law, and then they had added traditions and different followings to it so that they alone had superior knowledge, which in their mind related to spiritual maturity, and they they held captive the other followers of Jewish society. Controlled access. Within a relationship, access is available. I can fall on my knees before my Creator God and ask His forgiveness and ask for His help and and have the assurance that the Holy Spirit is going to work in my life and speak to my heart the same as somebody that has just put their faith and trust in Christ today. Access to God in the relationship with Jesus Christ is the same. There's no difference. I put together a couple of graphics, and and as we see these this morning, you'll recognize that that's not my spiritual gift. But I I want you to to have a picture in your mind of the difference between what religion and a relationship is. You can put the first one of those up if you would, Chris. Okay. So this is how religion works. The standard of God, what God gives us in His Word. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Speak the truth in love. All of those principles, all of those standards that God gives us. If we're practicing religion, then those standards become a pressure from the outside in that I have to follow that because that's what makes me acceptable in God's eyes. And what happens is that we as individuals do this for ourselves, but we also let those around us, those leaders around us, give us an interpretation of speaking the truth in love means you do this, and you do this, and you do that. And so rather than from the inside, the heart changes, and it moves out towards maturity, there is this constant pressure of trying to conform conform, and and my spirituality is based on my ability to check the boxes that I've done what I need to do. Check, 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 check. That makes me spiritual. And there's a confining and a heaviness about that kind of living. Go to the next slide. What is God's intention for a relationship? The standards of God are the same. Principles of God are the same. I recognize in my heart, in my heart of hearts, that I can't live up to that. That God has got to change something in my inner being by the blood and the power of Jesus in order for me to attain any of God's standards. And so the catalyst for change comes not from my trying to conform, 
but it comes from God working His miraculous power in my life. And as I mature and I walk in that relationship, I'm more able to conform to the standards that God has put in place. God does the work in religion. I try to do the work. God's intent for us is to walk in a relationship with Him. Go back to that slide on the religion. Here's the thing about this that is so troubling to me. The reality is for those of us that have put our faith and trust in Christ, within that box of God's standard, there is complete and total freedom. And within a relationship... We have the ability for my Christian walk and obedience to Christ is not going to necessarily look like yours. Because it's between me and my God. And speaking the truth in love is going to be different for me than it's going to be for any of you. I, I, I love the analogy of a marriage because it's, it just gives us a good picture of what that looks like. There's principles that that God lays out in Scripture. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands. In every one of our marriages, those principles need to be in play, but the specifics of how those principles are played out are going to be different. And it's going to change over time. You know, I I think back, Bobby and I have been married nearly 40 years. And, And what we express to one another in terms of love and respect when we were newlyweds and our families were, our family was young, is completely different because it's evolved as we have aged and we have changed and as God has worked in our lives. There's a fluidness about what that looks like. And that's what Jesus wants us to understand about our relationship with him. It's going to be different for every one of us. And he wants us to live within the freedom of what it means to live within God's standards. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. General standards that God gives us that within the context of a relationship, God can use us uniquely and individually as he changes us from the inside out. That's what had happened in Jewish society that Jesus was confronting. Originally, when the law was given, it was a means by which Israel could relate to God. They could bring the sacrifices and celebrate the festivals and set aside the Sabbath and do those things because it would remind them of what God wanted to do in their hearts. But over time, those things became rituals and became a religion, and they lost sight of the fact that God wants a relationship with you. How many places in Scripture does it talk about a freshness or a dailiness about our walk with God? Lamentations, the mercies of God are new and fresh every morning. That's a relationship. Give us this day our daily bread. Why does God need to give us our daily bread? Because that's what a relationship does. 
It's fresh and new and different, and we're excited about what God's going to do today that's different from yesterday and what he's going to affect in my life today that was a problem yesterday. A relationship. More or less, I'll read for you a couple of verses that are probably most familiar that have to do with religion and, and what God intends. And I want you to notice in these verses the generalness of the statements. They're God's standards, they're God's principles, but there's a generalness about it because within the generalness of the statement is where God allows us freedom in our relationship with Him to determine what that looks like. James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What is the essence of religion or a relationship that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless? Two things, compassion and personal purity. Those two things are going to look different for every single one of us as we pursue a relationship with God. What is what God works in my heart in terms of compassion to those around me and those that are in need, in this case, widows and orphans, that's going to look different for you and your walk of life and your circumstances, and that's okay. That's okay. That's part of the freedom that God gives us. And in personal purity, there's things that God has worked in my life that he's put his finger on that says, no, no, I don't, that's not right. You need to repent and walk away from that. And those things in your lives may be something that God hasn't put his finger on yet. That's the individuality of a relationship. And and at some point in time, God will work in your heart and he'll say to you, no, you can't do that anymore. That goes against what I want and my best for you. Compassion and purity. Micah 6, verses, we're familiar with verse 8, but I want to read for you the couple verses that precede that because I think the context is really, really important. What shall I, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Just an exaggeration of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And then Micah's final statement. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Action, love, and walk. It's going to look different for every one of us, and that's okay. In the context of a relationship, that's okay. That's part of the freedom that God gives us so long as God is working those things in our heart and it's by the power of the blood of Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit that they begin to to flow out of what God's doing in our life. Act, love, walk, compassion, and purity. Jesus wanted to deliver Jewish society as well as us from religion. Because religion brings pressure into our lives and following Christ in a relationship that he gives 
brings great freedom and joy. And we also have to remember as we mingle with each other, it's always better if God puts a finger on something in my life rather than for me, especially for a non-believer, to put a finger on a behavior and say, no, 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 you shouldn't be doing that. Because the reality is for somebody that doesn't know Christ, their behaviors are nothing more than an outflow of the fallenness of their heart. And, and the problem is not with the behavior. The problem is that they need to be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And so often times I see this happen over and over again, that, that we reach out to somebody that doesn't know Christ and we say, you shouldn't do that. That's wrong. And by doing that, we cause them to lose sight or to not have the opportunity to hear of that which is the solution rather than a band-aid. Within the context of church, the same thing is true. It's always better when we see something that we know is, is not good in, in somebody to just pray that God's Spirit would put His finger on that. There's a place for confrontation. Galatians chapter 6 talks about that. Within the context of a family, we as parents have the responsibility to, to confront those things that we see in our kids. But many times we get the cart ahead of the horse and we say, your faith, your relationship has to look like mine. And that's what makes it successful. No. The goal is that we all look like Christ. And the only way that can happen is as God, by His Spirit, changes us from the inside out. And that's what a relationship is. I pray that you go back through these lists of eight things because it's easy to walk in the context of a relationship and then put these disciplines and behaviors and these things in our lives and over time, if we're not aware, they evolve into a ritualistic religion and we begin to take faith and take confidence from the things that we do rather than what we are in Christ. It's just part of the fall, part of our fallen nature. And so it's my prayer for all of us that as we pursue Christ, that we would recognize that this is a relationship. This is an ongoing, evolving thing that comes from what Christ is doing in us, not from what we choose to change about ourselves and our behavior. There's a freedom in that, an incredible freedom in that. I know that early on in my Christian experience, it it, it, it started with the youth pastor telling me, you need to put something in your life that will remind you on a daily or an hourly basis that you're in the presence of a God and you're his child. And so that was a chime on a watch or a bell between classes at the high school, something that was a physical reminder that I was in the presence of God and I was his child. And then over time, that evolved into this reality that being a child of God and being in a relationship with the God who created me is who I am, not something that I do. Just like it doesn't matter where I am, I'm married to Bobby. That's who I am. And as I function within the reality of that relationship, it protects me from a lot of the things that I can get drawn away in. And the same thing with our relationship with Christ. If, if God 
matures in us the fact that that becomes our identity, that relationship becomes our identity, then so many of the things that we struggle with, God's able to just work them out of our lives. I pray that we, as a church and as individuals, can walk in reality of the relationship that Jesus designed and that God would deliver us from the religion that Jesus spoke against. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the fact that you made us, you designed us for a relationship with you. God, we deserve none of that. None of that. And yet you sent Jesus, beginning with his earthly ministry, ending with his death and resurrection, to make the pathway open so that we could have and enjoy that relationship that you intended for us from the very beginning. Father, I pray for each one in this room and for any that are watching online that their faith has evolved into some kind of a religious practice and there's no joy and there's no hope I pray, Father, that by the power of Jesus and the working of your Holy Spirit that you would deliver them from that, that you would bring them back to the newness and the freshness of a relationship with you, and that in that they would find freedom and joy and fulfillment as we walk in the way that you desire. I pray these things in your name. Amen. guys would like to stand we'll close in worship I was buried beneath my shame who could carry that kind of weight it was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing But not Alive All my failures I tried To hide It was my truth Till I met you
sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan, now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing, now your love is the end. Chains break at the weight of your 